Well, let's talk about sometimes I feel that I'm too old. We're doing a series of sometimes where we're dealing with uh, events and feelings and uh, situations and circumstances that we find in our life um, as we go along. Let me start by talking about a Christian hero of mine, Dr. J. Vernon McGee. He was a Bible teacher and pastor, and he died back in 1988 at the age of 84. And even at the age of 84, he was still preaching and teaching on a daily basis. When Dr. J. Vernon McGee talked about the Bible, people listened. He was the most beloved Bible teacher of his generation, actually. And in a sit-down conversation after he had preached what would be his last Sunday sermon, he did not talk about the past. He did not mention the good old days and all that he had accomplished for the kingdom, which was seriously substantial. The only subject that interested him was the future. Now remember, this was 1988. He was fascinated at that time by the technology of audio recordings and broadcasting. And he was looking to the future. And he was looking to see how he could keep his ministry fruitful long after he was dead and gone. And he was correct about his assumptions and his decisions. Fifteen years after Dr. McGee's death in 2003, the Wall Street Journal published an article about him. And the writer of that article, Ann Wilde Matthews, reported that McGee's radio program was broadcast on 800 radio stations in the U.S. and Canada. His teachings were being beamed around the world by satellite and the Internet and doing so in more than 100 languages. Through the Bible, his radio program had added an additional 300 North American affiliates and dozens of new languages since his death. A side note to all of that is the number is even greater today as every year his ministry continues to grow in nations around the world. Dr. McGee's wholehearted ministry has not stopped even in his death. A similar story could be told of another giant of that same era, and his name was Derek Prince, and his teachings and books are still read and listened to worldwide, and he's had a serious impact on the church in Eastern Europe and Central Asia. It's fascinating to me that these men foresaw that once they were dead, their ministry could continue, and they carefully planted seeds while living so that their ministry would continue. In his final message, Dr. McGee was teaching from the verse, By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and though it and through it, he being dead still speaks. That's Hebrews eleven verse four. And though and through it he being dead, still speaks. In other words, the excellence of his gifts gave Abel a voice beyond the grave. And that's what Dr. McGee wanted. And again, God granted it. He lived his life wide open right till the last day. Some men leave monuments of stone. And where I work in every city, there is one or more monuments to Lenin and Stalin, 
who were the key founding fathers of the nation of Russia and then eventually the USSR and now several economic unions involving the former USSR nations. But Christians are not to leave stone monuments. They are to leave living monuments that continue to impact people and change hearts and lives so that the kingdom of God continues to expand even after their death, even after they've gone to heaven. Dr. McGee and others did just that, and their ministry continues today. Though he spoke of Cain, Dr. Vernon McGee reminds me more of Caleb, the less celebrated friend of Joshua. You remember that the two of them brought the minority report from the Promised Land, and they described the Promised Land as an abundant land of milk and honey, and they were ready to seize their inheritance, God's inheritance set aside for them. And they were ready to seize that inheritance in the name of the living God that they worshipped. Joshua and Caleb were at that time in the prime of their lives. Caleb was 40 years old. But the other scouts, the other spies, the majority party, counseled the Israelites to fear the giants in the land and keep away. And the lack of faith cost Israel an entire generation of restless wandering before they finally claimed the land God had reserved for them. But it is the rest of Caleb's story that is most fascinating to me. He was 85 years old when he achieved his peak accomplishment, a man living with wide-open faith right to the end, just like J. Vernon McGee. Caleb was enthusiastic about life. He engaged life. He embraced life. He lived life with energy, excitement, anticipation, always looking forward and never looking back. And this is how Caleb described himself at the age of 85. Now look at me. God has kept me alive as he promised. It is now 45 years since God spoke this word to Moses, years in which Israel wandered in the wilderness. And here I am today, 85 years old. And I'm as strong as I was the day Moses sent me out to spy the land. I'm as strong as ever in battle, whether coming or going. That's Joshua chapter 14, verses 10 and 11. And it's clear from those verses that Caleb was passionate in his youth, but Caleb had still maintained that passion in his elderly years. And I look on that story at a very personal level as I reach what today would still be considered old age. And I'm talking about all of this because sometimes I feel that I am too old. So the question would be, where did Caleb's passion come from? It certainly wasn't the product of an easy journey because he had traveled for 40 years with all the complainers and those who did not have faith in the living God enough to move into the promised land when he was 40 years old. You could summarize Caleb's life at 85 in three Ds, desert, death, and discouragement. All of his contemporaries, all of his friends were dying. Because you might remember that a condition for entering the promised land was that all of the unfaithful generation, the ones that had shielded away from the giants, 
had to die before God would permit the crossing of the Jordan into the promised land. These were Caleb's friends, Caleb's neighbors, Caleb's family. And it took 38 years for all of them to die, except, of course, Joshua and Caleb. And Caleb grew older as he waited through those decades, checking the obituaries every day and seeing the last of his old friends die. A generation of funerals would make the best of us gloomy and depressed, but not Caleb. We see in these verses from Joshua 14, verses 10 and 11, that his engines were still revving. The fire in the furnace of his soul was still lit. He was living his life wide open for God. He was not enjoying retirement. He was not just waiting to die, coasting downhill. He was passionate about God, passionate about his calling as a believer, passionate about life. He was engaged with life, embracing all and every opportunity. He was excited about the future. He was living with a vision of what could be and not looking back at what was. In a discussion recently with nine secular leaders, leaders who had distinguished themselves by their vision, the moderator of the session wrote, while their contemporaries groped at the present to feel a pulse or considered the past to discern the course that led to the moment, these nine squinted through the veil of the future. Not that they were mystics. For most of them, reality was pure and simple. What set them apart was the conviction that a greater reality lay a number of years down the road. No one questioned Caleb's pulse as he too looked to a greater future, looked down the road to the future, and had a vision of what could be. Forty years earlier, he had done reconnaissance work in hostile territory. He and Joshua had seen opportunity where the others had seen opposition. He based his recommendations not on the problems that they would encounter in the Promised Land, but on the provision and the power of the God who promised the land. Listen to the boldness of his declaration. This is found in Numbers 13, verse 30, and continues through 14, verses 7 and 8. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it and said to all of the congregation of the people of Israel, The land which we pass through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, and he does, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. If only the people had listened to the voice of faith instead of succumbing to the voice of fear. In listening to and believing the ten spies who brought a negative report, they doomed themselves to a generation of emptiness and wandering. But you know, we do the same when we listen to the wrong internal voice. Our internal voice often says, oh, that's just too difficult, I can't do it. I will never be smart enough, strong enough, fast enough to manage that. There is no way I can overcome my past. I'm scarred for life. I'm getting too old for this type of challenge. This is just who I am. 
I was always told I would not amount to anything. No one cares what I think. No one ever listens to what I'm saying. And God could never use me. We hear those statements made by our inner voice over and over again to the point we come to believe it. Caleb waited out the time through the punishment of wandering in the wilderness for 40 years till all of his friends and family and neighbors died. He waited out the time even though the punishment wasn't his to endure. But he kept his heart young and his faith active and at 85 years old, he told God what he wanted. In Joshua chapter 14, verse 12, he says, So now give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day how the Anakin were there with great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me, and I shall drive them out just as the Lord said. What would most of us ask at the age of 85? Lord, give me a nice mountain cabin in one of the fortified regions where I will be safe. Just give me a nice place to rest these tired bones. No one would have criticized Caleb for being ready to sit back, relax, and take it easy. He had lived a hard life, a faithful life. And we expect God, people to be broken down and sick and living in quiet despair when you're 85 years old. To live life with little energy and no spirit. In fact, we put them away into long-term retirement homes. But in fact, Caleb was living life wide open, open to the future, embracing and engaging in God's plan and God's purpose for his life. And he was doing so with tremendous energy and a strong spirit. In our world today, many who are in their 30s and 40s are already living like they are in their 70s and 80s. Life shut down, not life wide open. Disengaged and not embracing the challenges. Waiting for the weekend so they can relax or go drinking or watch the game on cable television. A survey of people in the business world, and that's okay, but their fi the findings of the survey speak volumes about the church world as well. A survey of people in the business world found this. People entered business as bright, well-educated, high-energy people, full of desire to make a difference. By the time they are 30, a few are on the fast track, the rest put in their time, and do what really matters to them on the weekend. They lose the commitment, the sense of mission, the excitement with which they started their careers. And we get little of their energy and almost none of their spirit. Why is this true in life, in the business world? Why is this true in the Christian faith? I believe it's because unlike Caleb, most adults have little sense of a real vision going forward into the future. Oh, we have goals and objectives, but they're not a vision. When asked what they want, many adults will say what they want to get rid of. They'd like a better job. That is, they'd like to get rid of the boring and demanding job that they have. They'd like to live in a better neighborhood. They're not, they'd like not to have to worry about crime. 
They like not having to put up with all the things that they're putting up with in their life. They want to be finished putting their kids through school. They would like their mother-in-law to return to her own home. It would be great if their back stopped hurting. But these are all negative goals and objectives, not even a real vision. But it's common amongst believers and non-believers as well. Real vision allows you to live life wide open. And it's looking to the future, not complaining about the present or looking to the past. One very bright teenager looked at those over 30 and said, we shouldn't call them grown-ups. We should call them given-ups because they're not living life wide open, embracing opportunity, celebrating life. They lack passion. They lack drive. And so they live life with little energy and no spirit. Well, Caleb had lots of energy and a great spirit. He had passion and he had drive. And he did not use his gray hair or his bald head or his age to beg off the heavy lifting. He asked for a worthy challenge that he could embrace and engage and invest his life in. The alternative that many settle for, old and young alike, is to retire from life, doing as little as possible to get by, not challenging themselves, in essence, already retired. Since I retired from life's competition, each day is filled with complete repetition. I get up each morning and dust off my wits, go pick up the paper and read the obits. If my name isn't there, I know I'm not dead, so I get a good breakfast and go back to bed. We might call that life shut tight, going through the motions with no emotions. And we've got to remember, dead fish float downstream. And a life shut down, for all intents and purposes, dead, but still living. Caleb lived a life wide open, and so did Dr. J. Vernon McGee. And why is it that we fear growing old to start with? We fear getting old either in age or old in our approach to life. And that is so wrong. In the Bible, old was good. Proverbs 16.31 says, The silver-haired head is a crown of glory. But in our youth-possessed culture, it seems to be considered a crown of thorns. Here's a thought. As soon as we stop living, engaging in life, living life wide open, we literally begin to die. We find the words old and advanced in years six times in the Bible. And it means each time, it means exactly what it says. But five of the six times that phrase, old and advanced in years, crops up in the Bible, the old and advanced in years person is about to experience something new, something astonishing, something wonderful, and even something miraculous. For example, Abraham at the age of 100 and his wife Sarah at the age of 90 are old and advanced in years as they are about to give birth to Isaac. 
Zacharias and Elizabeth are old and advanced in years before they give birth to John the Baptist. Joshua was old and advanced in years before he gave the marching orders to enter the land of God's promise. The Israelites were given very specific instructions about dealing with the region's inhabitants when they did go forth into the promised land. At the age of 85, only Caleb fully carried out his orders. As we read through the chapters of the book of Joshua, we see the words did not drive them out over and over and over and over again. And it's a failure to do as God commanded. Examples, Joshua 13, 13. Yet the people of Israel did not drive out the Gershites, but Gershu and Mekath dwelt in the land in the midst of Israel to this day. Joshua 15, 63. But the Jebusites, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the people of Judah could not drive out. So the Jebusites dwell with the people of Judah at Jerusalem to this day. Joshua 16, 10. However, Israel did not drive out the Canaanites who live in Gezer. So the Canaanites have lived in the midst of Ephraim to this day and have been made to do forced labor. After the glorious crossing of the Jordan, the Israelites were told to remove everyone from the promised land. The Israelites left unfinished business in their wake. If they had driven out the various tribes who were enemies of God, their future would have been peaceful and secure. Instead, the Canaanites remained a thorn in Israel's collective side for many years to come. And then there was Caleb, Joshua fifteen fourteen, And Caleb drove out all out from there <clears throat> the three sons of Anak, Shisha, and Agonimen, and Talmia, the descendants of Anak. No unfinished business there. Caleb did exactly what he was told, and he did it immediately. He is one of those success stories whose secret is not a secret. There is a distinctiveness that sets him apart from the others. So you need to read Caleb's story, and it's told in 30 verses in the Bible. And six times in those 30 verses, we see a recurring theme, and that's the secret of his success. Let me read them to you. But my servant Caleb, this is a different story. He has a different spirit. He follows me passionately. I'll bring him into the land that he scouted, and his children will inherit it. That's Numbers 14, 24. None except for Caleb, son of Jehuna the Kezanite, and Joshua, son of Nun. They followed me. Their hearts were in it. That's Numbers 32, 12. Not a single person of this evil generation is going to get so much as a look at the good land that I promised to give to your parents. Not one except for Caleb, and he'll see it. I'll give him and his descendants the land he walked on because he was all for following God, heart and soul. That's Deuteronomy 1, 35 and 36. My companions who were with me discouraged the people, but I stuck to my guns totally with God, my God. That was the day that Moses solemnly promised the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance, you and your children's, forever. Yes, you have lived totally for God. 
Joshua 14, 8 and 9. Hebron belongs to Caleb still today because he gives himself totally to God, the God of Israel. Joshua 14, 14. Caleb's passion breaks through so we can't miss it. The Bible says in those verses he had a different spirit and followed God with his whole heart, all of his heart, passionately, all of the time, completely. So the great commandment was embedded deep in Caleb's soul in his early life, and it guided him throughout his days. And the great commandment is to love God, your God, with your whole heart. Love him with all that is in you. Love him with all you've got. Deuteronomy 6.5 or love the Lord your God with all your passion and prayer and intelligence, Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. By the time he was 85, while most of the generation had given up hope and died, Caleb was still a bright fire burning. He still wanted to leap on the greatest possible task that God could give him. In his biography of Bob Pierce, Bob Pierce is the founder of World Vision, Dr. Graham's son, Franklin, tells about a Dr. Charles McCoy, pastor from Oyster Bay, New York. Dr. McCoy was a tall, <clears throat> distinguished man with seven university degrees. His church expected him to step down at age 72 and move into a retirement home. But Dr. McCoy was an explorer at heart, and to everyone's surprise, when he retired at 72, he sold his possessions and traveled to India, where a man had invited him to preach. His friends tried to dissuade him, saying, you might die in India. But he replied, it's just as close to heaven from there as it is from here. During his trip, his luggage was lost. He no sooner arrived than his billfold and his passport were stolen. The man who had invited him had returned to the United States, and Dr. McCoy knew no one else in India. However, a group of missionaries took him in, but were not sure what to do with him. But Dr. McCoy never missed a beat. He traveled through Asia for 16 years, having unusual opportunities to share Christ before political leaders, military academies, educational institutions, and rather large crowds of people. He planted churches in Calcutta and Hong Kong. When he passed away at the age of 86 at the Grand Hotel in Calcutta, a friend said he had come to the end of his great adventure, and he was as close to heaven as if he had never left New York, and he had been faithful. The truth is, that if you are being molded into the, Christ, into the image of Christ every day, and the truth is, if the Holy Spirit is doing his ongoing work in you, and the truth is, if you are doing all that you can to serve God as the days and months and years are piled upon one another, then you are going to shine. Think of what the Spirit of God can do within someone who has lived half a century or more and is still wanting to grow and to mature, living life wide open, swimming upstream, embracing and engaging with life every day, every opportunity. Think of the fruit of the Spirit continuing to blossom in that person's life, in your life. 
Think of that fruit coming into season as you reach your ripening years in your 70s and your 80s. We should call those years harvest years, when the best and the sweetest things in your life become ripe and delicious. One of the most pervasive and cynical lies of our time is that all the good stuff comes in the first half of life. Then after you reach 60, it's all downhill. You're over the hill and gone the way down. Bruce Larson, who's a Christian author, has 26 books still in print, although he died in 2008. He wrote, A life of safety is no life at all, whatever your vocation. Still, we are programmed from an early age to start providing for a safe and desired future. Through pension plans, pension funds, and retirement benefits, we work towards removing all risk from our lives by the time we are 65. Yet in the three societies that sociologists have studied where people normally live to 100, frequently to 120, there is no special treatment for the aged. Scientists who have studied these societies have found that they have nothing in common in terms of climate, diet, geography, or lifestyle. But in all three places, the inhabitants are expected to live normal lives with no cushion for safety. They continue to work, tend fields, keep shops until they die at 100 plus. I am convinced, he writes, that God never invented old age. Death is a gift, but old age is man's invention, and it's a cultural blight in our lifetime. George Beverly Shaw, not a believer, came close to the essence of a man I want to be in these words that he wrote. This is the true joy in life, being used for a purpose recognized by yourself as a mighty one, being a force of nature instead of a feverish, selfish little clod of ailments and grievances complaining that the world will not devote itself to making you happy. I want to be thoroughly used up when I die, for the harder I work, the more I live. I rejoice in life for its own sake. Life is no brief candle to me. It is, a, it is sort of a splendid torch, which I got a hold of for the moment, and I want to make it burn as brightly as possible before handing it on to the future generations. So no matter what age you are, you're never too old. Whether you're young or youngish, embrace each day of life as a gift from the Lord. Engage in that day fully. Live life wide open, eyes on the future. Encounter every situation or problem as an opportunity to see God work on your behalf. Encourage everyone you speak with to consider Jesus and experience life fully. Don't shut your life down as you hit the upper years. Embrace, engage, encounter, encourage, experience, and you'll be young forever. <laughs>